So the last year, year and a half, as I wake up at the, in the nighttime too often, but God has been speaking to me at times about power and authority. This morning he says, why is the church afraid of COVID and COVID's not afraid of the church? Good question. Because in the word, we have authority over it. And yet we live like it has authority over us because we become so worldly and not gone deep into the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to talk about authority. Um, you guys want to turn off the lights for a minute? That light will stay on. We turned off the lights. Why did the lights go off? Is there no electricity in the building anymore? No. You can turn the lights back on. It's because we turn switches. The power is there. Do we have to call consumers power to come and turn on the switches every time we want switches turned on because it's their power coming into this building? So do we, this morning, that I call consumers power and say, hey, we need you here at 9.30 to turn the lights on? No, because the power's here, and if we pay our bill, we have authority to turn on the lights or plug in something into a receptacle anytime we want to do it. The authority has been given to us. See, it's that simple. One thing God told me when we started talking about preaching this is, Brent, it's simple. Just keep it simple. See, the kingdom of heaven is simple. It's made for the simplest of people to understand. You don't have to be intellectual. You don't have to go to seminary and take four years of theology to understand this stuff. It's simple. Even Brent can get it. So we're in good stead. If Brent can get it, then I know all of you can get it. If I gave you my debit card and said, go to Traverse and enjoy yourself today. You could do that, but you'd be very limited, and pretty soon you'd quit working. If you knew a multi-million billionaire, and he gave you a card and said, Jen, take this card for a half a year, and just whatever you want, you buy it. I want to be Jen's friend if that happens. Because we could buy a new house, or several new houses, new cars, Go on cruises, new boats, new snowmobiles, new four-wheelers, whatever. Buy a golf course, whatever you want. See, the difference is with mine, my power is very limited. With a billionaire, he would have almost unlimited power behind him, right? You got a debit card. They might look the same. They might be from the same bank. But one's got a lot more power behind it than the other one has. So when we talk about authority, we're also talking about the power behind it. Right? Because you can have complete authority of something that doesn't have much power and nobody cares. If electricity goes out in Kalkaska, which it does once in a while, and we're at the north end on 131 and M72 West... 
and Brent thinks he's going to take care of the situation, so I jump out of my car, and I get out into the center of the traffic, and I start directing traffic. People look at me and say, who is this dude out there? But if somebody with a brown uniform or a blue uniform is out there, what happens? It's a whole different deal, not because that guy might be stronger than me or bigger or smaller than me, probably not as good looking as I am, but he's got the power of the state backing him up. All Brent's got is his egotistical Karen thing in him that makes him go out and stands in the corner and try to take control of things. Okay? The power makes all the difference. We are in the kingdom of heaven. Where is the lack of power in the kingdom of heaven? There is no lack of power, right? When Jesus came down and lived his life, we seen what the kingdom of heaven is like on earth. Jesus went around doing good for all of those, healing all of those who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus understood his authority. So, because we've been in Haggai, we're going to take this verse, and we're going to start this morning with this in the Word. And I will try to get through what I got for today. And by the way, if it was me, I would do next week's sermon this week and this week's sermon next week. But God wants this for today, so we're doing it this way. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. A couple of things in this verse that really don't have a lot to say about authority, but who does the choosing in this verse? God does. It's not Haggai. It's not Zerubbabel. It's not the people. God chose Zerubbabel. He didn't ask man who he should choose. He just chose him. There are times in life when God chooses a leader. And by the way, Zerubbabel was not the religious leader. He was the political leader. Okay? There are times that God chooses political leaders to lead. You may not like them doesn't matter. God didn't ask you. Right? It's the kingdom of God. He's the king. He will choose and move sovereignly when he chooses to. There are a lot of times that God will leave elections and whatever up to mankind to decide and make their choices. I don't understand all of that stuff. When I get to heaven, I will understand it better. But there's the free will and the sovereignty. There are denominations and groups of people on the extremes of both ends of that. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I sit down with a Calvinist who is more sovereign than I am, and I'm more free will than they are, and we end up saying about the same thing just from a different end. And we both admit we don't know. So, but here is a case where God chooses a man in the political arena and gives him authority. What is a signet ring? A signet ring was a ring that you wore, if it was in a government like this, that that ring would give you the authority of that government. If it's a family, it gives you the authority of that family. 
It is an honor to be given that ring, whether as a son or whether as an emissary of a country. That ring is as good as the power is in that government or in that family. All the power who gave you that ring stands behind you, and you have authority now from that government or family to operate in it. Okay? New Testament. I better get my gadget. Luke 15, 22, the story of the lost son. The son runs off from his father, takes a third of the inheritance of the family, goes wasted, ends up in a pig pen, repents, comes home to dad, wants to come home as a servant. He gets to dad, he starts the spiel, dad cuts him off, interrupts him, says, no, you're not my servant, you are my son. He shows him how he is a son. And he tells him he is a son, and then he shows him he is a son in this one verse. 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best, the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Puts the ring, the family signet ring, on his finger. When he did that, he said to his son, you are not my servant, you are my son. And you have full authority in this family as my son to operate. In other words, he got out in his billfold, pulled out the debit card, and said, here, this is yours. What did the son just do? He wasted a third of the inheritance. This father was crazy, right? From a human perspective, what are you doing giving your son all that authority again? He's already proven he can't handle it. But that's the way our heavenly father is with us. The ring comes from sonship. The son did not decide whether he was a son or a servant. He already said, I am not worthy to be your son. But the father is the one who declared sonship. Not because the son was so good. Not because the son was, was so lovable. But because the father was. Amen? This is important when we talk about authority in the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know how much we'll get into it today, but the authority that is given to you in the kingdom of heaven is because you are a son, not because you're a good servant. Now, a good servant might get some authority, but the son, whom the father names as his son, gets the authority of the family. Amen? So when we're talking about authority today, we're talking about the authority of a son in the kingdom of heaven. So it's kind of weird today, the way we're handling this. We're going to talk about two different aspects of authority and how they work in our lives. The first one comes from Luke 7, 1 to 3. Jesus just finishes in Luke 6, the Sermon on the Mount. And he goes to Capernaum. And in Capernaum, this story happens. And Jesus teaches from this story for us to understand today and help our faith to increase and understand authority. Your faith 
will increase as you understand authority. It also increases by understanding the Father's heart for you, how much he loves you and wants to do good things for you, even though you are unworthy. And it comes from knowing the word. Hearing the word of God grows your faith, whether it's you reading it in the word to yourself and the Holy Spirit bringing it to life, whether it's sermons or books or however it is working in your life. But those are components of faith, and this is one of them. When Jesus had finished saying this to all the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. And the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and to heal his servant. Who's the story about? It's about Jesus, right? It's about a centurion, and it's about a centurion's servant. Jews and Gentiles. Jesus didn't pay a lot of attention to what the Jews expected of Jews, did he? He ate with the publicans and the sinners. Jews were not supposed to hang out with or be in a Gentile's house. So we know that going into the story. Centurion is who? He is a Roman centurion that is occupying Israel. An occupying force. Not very well liked by the Jews. In fact, the next story we look at, they're expecting Jesus to break that yoke off of them and set them to freedom. The centurion had a servant whom he highly valued, and he was sick and ready to die. The centurion hears of Jesus. Your testimony, what you say about Jesus, carries weight for people. And he heard of Jesus, and he heard the stories of Jesus, that when all other hope fades, Jesus is your hope. So he's taking a chance he can get Jesus' attention to heal his servant that he loves. So he sends some elders. He did not go. He sent elders of the Jews to Jesus to talk to Jesus. Okay? When they came to Jesus, the elders of the Jews, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogues. So what is the argument of the elders of the Jews to Jesus that he should go heal a Gentile? Because he deserved it because he loved the Jewish nation and he built them a synagogue. I think the centurion was a really nice guy, the way it sounds. He valued his servants. And he was wise enough to, when he went to the place he was assigned to go, he made friends instead of enemies, right? And now he's drawing on that friendship. The Jews are used to the if-then of the law which means if you do this and this and this, then God will do this and this and this. So they bring this to Jesus and says, this guy has fulfilled the if. He loves our nation. 
He built us a synagogue. Surely if there's anyone who deserves your attention, Jesus, and the benefits of knowing you, it's this guy. He'll his servant. Okay? That's our approach as man, right? Somebody gets sick and we really like him and they've done a lot of good in our life. We go to God. God, heal him because he's such a good person. She's such a good person. They do this and this and this. They deserve this healing. So we're not a whole lot different than the elders. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. The elders of the Jews said he deserves it. The centurion says, I don't deserve anything from you. This is going to be pure grace and love from you, Jesus. I'm a Gentile, and I don't deserve anything from you. The place of humility is different than the place of earning, right? And when are you good enough to earn it? I haven't hit that mark yet where I get to go to God and say, God, I am so good. you got to do this for me. I deserve it. If I did that, I would expect a lightning bolt to come down and land very near me to put the fear of God back in me. So he didn't deserve to have him come under his roof, and he didn't even count himself worthy to talk to Jesus himself. Why? What was the difference between the, the elders of the Jews and the centurion? And if you just say the word... My servant will be healed. If you just say the word. Authority, most of the time, is in your words. We don't take our words seriously. I'm still learning to control this thing because God's been working on it. Because he wants this to be a double-edged sword to use for his kingdom. And that hell doesn't get to use it anymore. Okay? That means negative talk, gossip, and demonic proclamations over, like, Casco will never amount to anything, da-da-da. No, I don't get to do that. I have to speak the kingdom of heaven out of my mouth. There are many different ways of healing the Bible talks about. Okay? Anointing with oil in James. And I'm not knocking one or saying one is better than the other. I don't believe that at all. Some of us are prone to one more than another. Um, the end of Mark, Jesus said they will lay their hands on people and they'll recover. It says nothing about anointing with oil. Two different kinds. 
If you go to Larry, he's probably going to anoint you with oil because that's what flows through him. Me, I'll lay hands on you and I'll speak to it. He'll anoint you with oil and speak to it. Okay? It's the words that are backed up by the heart belief. Jesus said, you say to this mountain, be moved into the sea, it's going to happen if you say it and you believe it in your heart. It's not just saying the word, it's the belief in the heart that goes with the words that come out of our mouths. The authority the centurion was looking for from Jesus was just the spoken word. Jesus didn't have to come into the house and lay hands on him. And Jesus didn't have to come with the oil and anoint him. Jesus didn't have to come and mix up some mud and put it on him. Just say the word. And here we go. This is authority. For I myself am a man under authority. He's a Roman. He's a centurion. He's probably got 80 soldiers under him at Capernaum. But his authority comes from a higher authority. Right? He's been given that authority by a power that is above him. He has earned that authority from the higher power through his faithfulness. We'll talk about that in a little bit. He just didn't establish himself as a centurion in Capernaum with 80 to 100 soldiers beneath him and declare, I am your centurion here. I work for the Roman government. He was sent there by the Roman government. See, there's a lot of Christians that want authority. And we want to be able to speak, speak to sicknesses and diseases or spirits or the weather or whatever it is, but we don't line ourselves up under authority. Lone rangers are dangerous people in the Christian walk. I've had lone rangers want to come and speak in my church and minister in my church. And they were gifted people, and I said, no, no thank you. Because you're too proud to be part of a local body and rub elbows with common people. You're a lone ranger. You don't have a higher authority. When we left the Indiana-Michigan Mennonite Conference, we didn't leave until we had another group of churches we were joining who would have authority over us. Because I believe very much in having authority over me. And when we left Partners in Harvest, we were lined up with Harvest Alliance because I want accountability and I want authority over me. It's safer than running out there by myself trying to be whatever, trying to do whatever. It doesn't work. In the Christian walk, we are humble, we are under authority, and we yield to that authority, and then we exercise our authority. So he's a centurion. He's been given authority by a higher power, which at that time was the ruling power of the world. If he was given authority by the Jews, he would only have authority as much as the Jews would recognize him, right? Because they were serving the Romans. So he's a man under authority. He recognizes authority. He's been brought up under authority. He respects that authority. With soldiers under me. So he's a man that was under authority, but now carries authority. 
I tell this one, go, and he goes. Notice he tells him he speaks with his mouth, right? An instrument of authority. Come, and he comes. Do this, and he does it. He's explaining to us the spiritual kingdom and authority. It works the same way in the spirit realm, in the kingdom of darkness and in the kingdom of heaven. The issue is, are you a centurion? Are you a soldier? Are you a servant in the house? Where's your level of authority? Because we all don't have the same level of authority. You and I can both be sons in the kingdom with the same father, but it be different at different levels of authority because of our progression. Okay? When Jesus heard this, that the centurion understood the authority structure, and that's why the centurion says to him, just say the word and it will happen, because the centurion knew that the authority of Jesus and the power of heaven was backing him up, and Jesus didn't have to walk into the house and lay hands on him and do whatever. All he had to do was from a distance say to that sickness, leave. Because Jesus had the authority to do that. A son. A son like us. Right? We're brothers with Jesus. He is our bride. Now, he is the only begotten son. In that sense, he is different. But Jesus said, the things that I do, greater things you're going to do. Right? So, this is pretty great. And Jesus said, but you can do greater. You can at least do this, and then you can do greater. I wonder sometimes in John 5, 19, where it says, Jesus seen what the Father does, and he do, does it. Almost said he does it. I wonder that morning in prayer time or the night before if God showed him this happening. Or when the centurion came to him, or the elders came to him, did he just, in his mind, go, Father, what do I do? And waits to hear the Father's voice or the Father to show him in a quick vision of what to do with this guy. That kind of stuff intrigues me. I want to know that. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Here is someone who understands the authority and power. And all the Jews who are supposed to be Jesus' people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't have this understanding. It took a Gentile to understand how authority works in the kingdom of heaven. Hopefully, as the church of Jesus Christ, we get a hold of authority and learn where we're at and learn how to grow that authority in our lives, which we'll look at next, if we care enough to do it. If you just want to make a better living here on earth and have an easier life and have more pleasure and comfort, then you don't need to listen to this stuff. 
But if we want to progress, because I think there is a huge authority being downloaded to the church of Jesus Christ worldwide, if you want to get in alignment and take it and run. But your affections have to be daddy's affections. You've got to learn his compassion. And that's going to tear you up a little bit. For most of us, anyhow. Jesus was amazed that this Gentile understood it. And turning to the crowd, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. I thought we were talking about authority. And now Jesus brings up faith. Because your faith will be enhanced by your understanding of the authority structure in the kingdom of heaven. And where you stand in the kingdom of heaven. Your level of authority. If you want to spend your time learning how the earth operates and lives in the worldly way, you won't have time to learn the kingdom of heaven. You're going to have to commit yourself to the kingdom of heaven to learn things because they're going to be opposite of the way this world operates. You want authority in the kingdom with people? What does it say in the kingdom of heaven? You become the least of it. What does the earth say? You take every advantage given to you to lord it over the people. Completely different. Earthly leaders sneak into hair salons when nobody else is supposed to. Okay? I'm not trying to pick on her. It's just the way it, it's just an example that's relevant right now. But that's the way they operate. They will tell you what not to do, and then they will go do it because they want to do it. And then they lose respect from people. If you do that in the church, you will lose respect too, right? The foundation of understanding faith, we have to understand authority. And if we don't understand authority, we will never understand faith. You will never operate in the faith level you can operate in if you don't understand the authority you have as a son of Christ. Luke 19, verse 11, we'll start at. Jesus was just in Zacharias' house. You know, the wee little man that climbed up in a tree to see Jesus passing by, and Jesus called him down. They went to their house. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a very rich man because he got to take money from people for himself, too, not just for the Roman government. Both of these stories have to do with the Roman government today. And so while Jesus was there, he taught them this parable. Now, this story we're going to talk about was something that was very relevant in their lives. They understood it. And I'll kind of explain it as we go through it from their perspective, what Jesus is talking about. We're not going to look at all the verses in this because I'm just trying to pick out some things in this that Jesus is really teaching something else. But in this parable, he lays out this stuff too. So he went on to tell them a parable because... He was near Jerusalem, and the people thought the kingdom of heaven was going to appear at once. Jesus was going to be king of Israel on earth 
and it's going to happen really soon, and the Romans are going to get kicked out of here, and we're going to show what we're made of. David and Solomon stuff. He said a man of noble birth, in their day that would have been Herod's son, went to a distant country, which in their day would have been Rome, to have himself appointed king and then return. Herod was dying or was gone. Herod's son was going to take over. Since they were under Rome, he had to go appeal to Caesar to be the leader of Israel, to be the king of Israel. I would imagine he took a lot of money with him to make Caesar happy with him. And then to return. So this is going to happen. Verse 13. So before he goes, he called ten of his servants and gave them ten Midas. A mina was a day's wages. Ten men each get one mina. This is a little different than the story of the talents in Matthew, I think it's 25. He said, put this money to work until I come back. In the meantime, we're not going to read the verses they send a delegation of people to, in the story to the king and they appeal to the foreign country, don't make this guy king, but the foreign country makes him king. Anyhow, Rome makes Herod, son, king over Israel. And the people weren't very happy with Rome at all for doing that. So he comes back. And he calls in the first of the ten. And he says, sir, your mina has earned ten more. How would we like that? If we could invest a hundred today and come back in a week and get a thousand. We'd just keep investing more and more in that guy, right? Because you have been trustworthy in a small manner. What's trustworthy? Faithful. Dependable. Right? In a small manner, Zechariah says in Zechariah 4, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Just because you only get a mina, don't despise it. Use it wisely. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small manner. That you think may be unimportant. You may be vacuuming the carpet in the sanctuary. You may be cleaning toilets. It may be in the marketplace. And the boss gives you a little bit of responsibility. But he's watching you to see how faithful you are in carrying out what he's called you to do. Because he's looking for people that can be raised up and be promoted in the earthly realm as well as in the heavenly realm, right? When you talk to employers today, what's one of the first things they will tell you? It's hard to find good employees because they don't take the small manner seriously. If they wake up and they don't feel like going to work today, they don't go to work today. Okay? And bosses 
And employers and supervisors don't like that. In the kingdom of heaven, many Christians are the same way. They have a job to do. God's called them to do something, but they don't feel like it for whatever reason. And because we run our lives on feelings and emotions, we don't do it. And then we wonder why we don't get promoted in the kingdom of heaven. It's because you haven't been faithful with the little things God's asked you to do that maybe nobody else knows about, but the Holy Spirit's talked to you, and you know it. But pastor hasn't come and said anything to me. The prophet hasn't confirmed it. Whatever excuses we come up with that we don't want to be faithful with. Take charge of ten cities. From one mita to ten cities. That's a huge promotion, isn't it? I've given you authority to use one mina when I'm gone. Take that and show me what you can do. He didn't make any promises of promotion, did he? But when he gets back and the guy brings him the ten, because you were faithful, because you were trustworthy, because you did what I asked you to do, here's your promotion. You now got ten cities to take care of. It's a lot of responsibility. I'm not sure I want 10 cities to take care of. But here's the thing. Whether it's in the secular world, the marketplace, or whether it's in the church, people want a lot of responsibility. They want a lot of authority. But they don't want to do the things to grow it and to get there. Right? A guy's been on the job for 20 years, and this young whippersnapper comes in there, and he gets promoted in a year, and you still don't get promoted. What happens? You get all angry and up about it. Maybe that guy's proven in a year he's far more trustworthy and does a better job than you have in 20 years. Oh, no, we wouldn't want to talk about that, would we? But it's true. When things like that happen, I say, yeah, your boss could be a jerk. I agree. He may not like you. Or maybe there's a reason behind what he did. There's people who want great ministries in the church. They want to be a very well-respected leader in the church, which is probably their first problem. And they think the road to the top ought to happen overnight. But how long did it take for Joseph to be second in line of death? Egypt, and what happened to Joseph in that process? He learned to be faithful as a slave. He learned to be faithful as a prisoner. Right? It wasn't an easy walk. What happens with David? He's anointed king for 20 years. He's out hiding in the caves. Not an easy walk. Twice he could have wiped out Saul by himself. And he said, no, 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 this isn't God's timing on this. I'm going to leave it alone. You earn. You don't earn it in your good behavior. You earn it in your 
learning the sonship and being a faithful son and a trustworthy son. And your authority will rise with that. Second came in and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. I like taking care of five cities better than ten. A lot less responsibility and time goes into it. The master does not compare him to the one who brought back ten. That's important, right? Because the accuser will accuse you. Hey, you the guy five, you think that's big stuff? Look at Bob over there. He got ten cities. You're not much good. You ought to just give it up and forget it. Anybody's heard those voices before? Comparison. Paul says it's not wise to compare yourself against another person. It's the accuser. It comes right out of the pit of hell. The master doesn't ask for that. In the parable of the talents, which is very similar to this, he gave them their talents according to their abilities. Here they all got one in the story of the talents. They got five, two, and one. Both stories, the guy with one blew it. They went and hid it because of fear and because they thought their master was so hard on them. And they found out they were prophetically bringing an end to themselves by their beliefs and by their words. And the master was hard on them. In this story, he takes the one from the guy that hides it and gives it to the guy with ten, and he says something that is very against what we hear in the secular media today. He says, take the one from the guy that only has one and give it to the guy that has the most. Oh, I thought with socialism, we were all supposed to share alike. Socialism is not Christianity, people. And you all know that. One last story. And this is a story of another story of where authority comes from. So we looked at authority and understanding authority in the human realm and in the spiritual realm because they can parallel each other and it grows our faith. And we use our mouth as that authority, the sharp two-edged sword. We prayed in here one of the feast nights, Carol led it, and I had a quick vision in it that I don't get visions very often, but there was a sharp double-edged sword, and Jesus took his fingers and just went around that sword and left a trail of blood on the edges of that sword. And he says, use that on Satan and see what he does. Because they hate the blood. They hate the sword. The sword's bad enough, the word of God. The words of Jesus. They throw the blood on it. And they'll run. Authority. You put yourself in position for growth in authority by being faithful. You're not going to get it until you learn to be faithful to the kingdom, to the king. Okay? Acts 19. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Paul just didn't do miracles, people. He did extraordinary miracles. He did the fire-out miracles, okay? 
Paul went through a lot of things to get to the top of the authority pyramid, didn't he? So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. All it had to be is a piece of cloth that was on Paul or that Paul touched. And you could take it from here down to Detroit and you could drop it on a cancer patient ready to die tomorrow. And in that cloth was the anointing and the authority of the kingdom of heaven because it had touched Paul. Amazing. Amazing. We need people like that today, don't we? Peter walked down the street and he had a cloud. I don't know if you could see it or not, but there was a cloud of the glory of God sitting on him. And wherever that shadow landed, if you would get yourself into that shadow, you'd get healed. He didn't anoint you with oil. He didn't lay hands on you. He didn't even speak to you. But where he was, the anointing and the authority was. God's going to raise those kind of people up all over the face of the earth. He might want to do it right here in Kalkaska with somebody at Coast Springs. Illnesses left because they were under the authority of the kingdom of heaven. Evil spirits left because they were under authority of the kingdom of heaven. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, trying to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Now here you're going to see the authority level in the demonic kingdom. They would say, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. Okay? They didn't have relationship. They didn't have sonship. They were using names that they had no relationship with in a personal way. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And apparently they were pretty good at that because they were known for doing this stuff. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. One day, though, they met a evil spirit that had greater authority than those others. Okay? If you've ever cast out demons, you start to understand the kind of authorities you meet in plain sight when you start dealing with them. Some, you hardly get the words out of their mouth and they're gone, and others will stay there and fight you forever, and you've got to be persistent with the kingdom of heaven and the name of Jesus to get them to do anything. But I never met a demon that didn't get cast out. We in America are too fast to cast out the demonic. Okay? There's other things that need to happen before we cast out demons in a person's life. In Sri Lanka, they just haven't come to church, and eventually the presence of God will bring that demon out. Which is kind of the way I like to do it and the Word of God. 
One day the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, Jesus I know. Jesus I know. The evil spirits know Jesus. They know the authority of Jesus and his name. I know about Paul. I don't know Paul, but I know about him because he's a man of great authority. And I know that demons get cast out when Paul speaks to them. I just know about him, though. I've heard stories about Paul, but Jesus, I know. But who are you? You strut around with your big authority, flashing up for people to see, trying to build a a business and casting out demons, and you come to me and you expect me to leave when you carry no authority over me? I'm the kind of evil spirit that's going to take Paul to come to me. Because he has authority. You got a lot of words with no sonship. You got a lot of words with no sonship. You're not wearing the ring on your finger. And the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. How many sons did that evil spirit through that guy beat up? Seven guys against one man. First time we cast out, I cast out demon with a Jim Gerber, about six one, big Ohio farm boy. The guy was coming to our youth group, Diane's cousin. He was approximately the same size as me. When we would wrestle, we would be even. Sometimes I would end up on top. Sometimes he would. Okay. That night, it was all Jim and I could do to keep him down. Neither one of us knew what we were doing. We knew this, that the word says you can cast out demons, so we're going to do it. Now, if we did it today, it'd be a whole lot different than we did it by, back then. But I want to tell you, there was 14 demons that came out of that guy. With two guys who were complete novices and only knew the kingdom of heaven and the authority of Jesus' name. And other than that, we didn't know what we were doing. And part of it happened the next night in... Mancelona in a community youth group with a couple pastors who didn't know any more about it than we did, but we were going for it. So when it says they overpowered them, I have visuals in my mind of what that looks like, and I know that it happens because while we didn't get overpowered that night, we were, it was all we could handle. And the first ones came out really easy. The last ones took a while, okay? The repentant heart that comes back to the Father 
whom the father pronounces sonship over gets the ring of authority. You don't determine that. He does. You determine whether you come to him with a repentant heart. And if you do that, you will get that ring of authority. And when you understand that authority, faith will arise in you. See, I believe in the coming move of God, there's a whole lot of authority coming to the church, and the prophetic is going to change. Not that the way we do prophetic now is wrong. There is a lot of good things that happen, but personal prophetic messages, I believe in them, and that's the main thrust today of the prophetic. But the thrust thrust of the prophetic is going to change, and it's going to be authority of words spoken that heaven has spoken over people, over families, over churches, over communities, over businesses in the community. Because we will understand our authority better and our authority to speak into things. I have been praying, speaking it forth, declaring it, Psalm 91 over this church for the last, I don't know, since April sometime. God told me to start doing it. All it is is a declaration of God's protection over us. And my faith has grown in it since I've been proclaiming it. Not only have I been speaking to COVID face to face, but it's changed me. And I did it because God said, you need to start doing this. So I speak it over Kalkaska, but, you know, the psalm says it's for him who dwells in the secret place. So I use my authority that I have over Kalkaska as much as I can, knowing that a lot of Kalkaska doesn't abide under the shadow of the Almighty. But I know that I do, and I have authority over my family, and I have authority over my church. So I will go fight. COVID, because the authority has been given to me. God's been working some things in the last year for authority in other places in me that nobody knows about, but God and I. One of the things last winter is when he would tell me to and a storm was coming across, and he would say, you don't need to put up with that storm, Brent. You can command it. And the predictions of a foot of snow would end up being one or two inches. And when I tried that without God telling me to it, Tom was happy. And God said, I'm just going to teach you some things about authority. There are Christians, when hurricanes come, stand up to hurricanes and start to diminish them because they have authority in that field that God has given them. On the other hand, if you try to use that authority where God hasn't called you to use that authority, in that story of the seven sons, you get beat up. I've got some authority in Kalkaska. I don't have authority in Petoskey. I can speak things in Kalkaska. I'm not allowed to speak in Petoskey. You've got to understand where your authority is at.
And someday God may give you a vast array of authority over a lot of things because of your sonship in him. And he can trust you because your affections are for the things that he has affection for. That sons, the father glorifies his sons and the sons glorify their fathers. What father here doesn't want to see, or mother, doesn't want to see their sons, their daughters do really good in life? And people go, whoa, look at that. Cherie's boys are doing wonderfully in life. She likes that. But the boys will give dad and mom glory too. And they're not hanging on to it by themselves. Amen? I love it when your phones ring during church. I'm amused by it. I know the embarrassment because it's happened to me before. And I don't think God gets very upset about phones ringing in church. Next week, we'll talk more about God-given authority and Jesus-giving authority and Jesus' expectations of us. And we'll see how far we can get through that. Because my time's getting limited in preaching, and I could go for a long time on authority, and we've got to just narrow that down a little bit. It's good stuff, and may God speak to you at night about your authority. The mighty right arm and hand of God. We're going to see it happen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that we get to be sons. And in that being sons, we have been given authority. And Father, we need to understand better the levels of authority that we carry. And the way authority works in the kingdom of heaven. And our faithfulness to the little itsy bitsy things that you tell us to do that nobody else knows about. But because you've spoken to our heart, we do them. And we do them faithfully. Not based on feelings but based on being obedient to you because we love you and we trust you. And we do it out of love, not expecting a huge reward of a bigger ministry or a bigger business or a promotion. We just do it out of love, but you take that thing that's done out of love and you build on it and you build on it. So we do not despise the day of small beginnings. We embrace those and we learn to be faithful in those. We take the mina given to us and we take it to people to invest properly. We don't take it and hide it out of fear. We don't take it and hide it because you're a harsh God ready to beat us if we lose it. But because we see you giving us opportunity to grow. And thank you for not comparing what I do to someone else and what they do because you have entirely different callings on our lives. We're not all called to be the same. And I thank you for that. And Lord, for grace for us not to be people driven by comparison, which is out of hell, but, but who are 
being faithful to you in what you have called us to do. Father, we embrace what's coming our way. And part of what's coming our way is the increase in authority in our lives and understanding it better and the prophetic flowing out of us and the worship flowing out of us to bind the princes, to fulfill the vengeance that is written upon them. And Lord, we do that with worship and praise. We do that with the prophetic. We do that with authority. So speak to our hearts, Lord, and cause us to desire that growth. Because we are laboring with you in your work. It's not our work. It's yours. And we as sons get to work with you in the eternal purposes that you have with those things that bring you pleasure. And I give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.